Uh, hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bitcoin podcast. Uh, this is episode 287 of the Bitcoin podcast. I'm the host that Fox. <laughs> yeah. I'm the host that talks first. Host that talks first D. I'm the other host, Dr. Corey Petty. And today we have a guest host coming on the show to talk shop. Say what's up. Hey, what's up? It's Dr. Andy Boyan. How you guys doing? Another nice. doctor. You guys are both doctors? Yeah. Damn. Andy's a doctor as well. I feel so left out, man. We're, you we're know very what? different okay. doctors, that's for sure. Job. I'm going to get a PhD. Don't yeah, ask right. either one of us to like save someone on an airplane. That's for sure. No, I'll, I'll try. I won't be good at it, but I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do Just something. help people problem solve. I don't know if I'm going to save anybody. <laughs> Just help people problem solve. That's all I can do. Uh, falking sounds like it should be a thing. Falk. It is. You... What Never is mind. it? Never mind. Oh, you gonna... okay? Yeah. Never mind. Um, okay. How was your week, D? Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was pretty good, man. Uh, it was pretty chill week of consulting. Um, which culminated with someone wanting to fight me physically. So that's how you know you're really doing your, your job well, is when people are feeling so attacked by you basically orating their inefficiency. You're just in front of you're their narrating, entire team. Narrating, you're just narrating their life, they're, 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 how inefficient they're living their life? Yeah, well, it's not that you're doing it on purpose. You're just using some factual things and stating them out loud and they get so mad because they know that those things fall under their purview. Was it like say, a, was it like a compliment sandwich? That was like one of those ridiculous sandwiches you see on commercials that has like two tiny pieces of bread and like 
way too much meat that any human should ever ever eat. Yeah, it was a poorly made <laughs> empanada of a of, of, of a compliment. Open faced. Yeah, <laughs> open faced. It was like it was just a bowl of stew. Honestly, your hair's not looking not looking too shiny. Here's a laundry list of shit you fucked up, and <laughs> here's a small. <laughs> It was a very bad compliment, Sam. But you came on you came on time to work today, so we got that going. Yeah. And uh it ended up in something I'll remember for the rest of my life. You wanna take this outside, Bub? Bub. <laughs> like Wolverine says, Bub. And uh yeah, it was a great week, man. It was great. <laughs> Did you just say no thank you or no, I said I said you're done here, or you can have a seat and help us have a constructive conversation. Oh man, yeah. you're a pro. Yeah, so real pro. I would have called them Wolverine. <laughs> Calm down, Logan. <laughs> finally started. Finally started aging, huh? Anyways, <laughs> talk to you, Corey. Oh man, pretty un- pretty uh, uneventful week. Um, Basically, I was locked down at my house working. Um, couldn't leave because FedEx refused to deliver my package four days in a row that I needed to sign for. And ultimately, just dropped it off in my mailbox, and I didn't sign for it last, like late last night around 8 o'clock. So that was cool. That was a fun week. Other than that, uh, people are kind of starting to wind down on the holiday season, so yeah. I'm not getting as many pings as I usually do at work. Andy, you know how we know it's wintertime? Is every wintertime Corey brings out that awesome bohemian jacket from I love the this jacket. Early nineties. It's from, it's, from, it's from Japan, dude. <laughs> makes me think of that. What's that one song that I got a relationship? Where the guy's like, uh, fuck. Flight the guy's of like, it's like ska, and he's like, uh, it's a flight of concords. Never mind. I'll remember it. I'll remember it. Sorry, that was a weird cool story. Uh, also, yeah. I uh, made and shipped that um, Raspberry <sighs> Pi powered Christmas tree. I that, saw that. Uh, did a bunch of stuff whenever people sent Ethereum to a specific address for uh, yeah, the Mary cool. Merkel. I, I, yeah, I didn't Mary know Merkel you did Christmas. that. Yeah, I did that. That's sweet. It's neat. Uh, they didn't have a speaker, so they didn't get to do like the. Um, like it would normally play music and a coordinated light show. Um, they didn't have a speaker, so we had to kind of pivot to what it did when an Ethereum transaction was sent. But Where overall, can people go to see that. What's like? What's the site? Mary Mer- Ah, to see the tree. I don't think there yeah. is one. It's on Twitter. I've retweeted it a couple times. I don't know how good of a of a scene they have in terms of what's going on and how it lights up, but. Uh, they're sending it back to me. I'll probably set it up in my house. That's cool. All right, I'll retweet that. What do you? Uh, what do you? How about you, Andy? How was your week? Well, I was on vacation at the end of last week and the beginning of this week. So I uh, took the family family down to Florida and uh, got a little bit of sunshine. And that was nice. Did some theme parks, um, chased children, went on some rides. Uh, my daughter is a roller coaster junkie, so like we got to actually do that, and she. Like, we would finish every ride and just say, I want to go again. And we couldn't because there's lions and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, I t- took the little kids on a couple of, uh, of rides that were a little too intense for them, and they got a little scared. So that's good, right? You got to, like, you know, have that balance. 
Um, but then, yeah, it was just getting back and getting back in order. And when you get back from vacation with kids, like everybody needs to reset because you need some time away from them because <laughs> I want to keep loving them um, is why. <laughs> uh, and then they like everybody's sleep schedules off and everybody's back to school and work and weird. So it's just been resetting for all that. But now everybody's everybody's chill. Kids are watching Pokemon and. Things are back in order, so that's mm-hmm. nice. Pokemon, the original. Um, I don't know. Indigo League is on now. Okay. Oh wait, no, they finished Indigo. They're on to the new one again. So I wish I knew what that meant, but obviously, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I, I was never into Pokemon as a as a kid or anything, and so since they've started it the past couple of months, I I lo- I know a lot about Pokemon now. I have <laughs> convictions regarding Bulbasaur, etc. <laughs> so okay. So um, what's up? So let's, let's, let's talk some crypto. Let's talk some crypto. Okay, I was gonna go Pokemon. I know you're about to go Pokemon. I, I, I was hard, Pokemon. hard diverting. Okay. So we had a pretty good conversation this week in the Slack. Uh, and by the way, if you're listening, join the Slack. Stop what you're doing. Join the Slack. But it all started because <clears throat> Hiro Hiro I think that's how you say that. That's definitely Pokemon. not how you say it, and you've never said it right. So keep going. Hiro Yoshibe said she posted a link from Bloomberg, which, by the way, mainstream media is only posting links about nefarious things in crypto now. It's like I've been in this shit for a while, and that's all they will do. And then when there's a price boom, they'll be like, "Hey, guess what happened? It's crazy. The, the, that crypto shit. The price went crazy." But that's all you're gonna get from mainstream media. But BitMEX is uh, BitMEX is being sued for $300 million. I'm not going to get into the details. I don't really give a fuck. But it does match the theme. Uh, this is lawsuit season in crypto right now. Like All these ICOs are being brought, like putting their foot to the fire. Um, and then I was like, well, Hex is on its way, Corey. And you stepped in and you said, I said, Hex is on its way a couple years from now after people lose millions of dollars. And then you were like, I don't think it's going to take that long. No, I don't think so. I said, I hope it doesn't. I said, I hope we kind of grow past this shit. Because as an outsider looking in, like if I'm anybody looking in with about 10 stacks and I'm like, I keep hearing about this crypto thing, I think I'm going to put some money in, invest some time and emotion into it. I wouldn't get anywhere near it. If I just Googled it, it's just like scam, scam, lawsuit, scam, lawsuit, scam. It's like, oh shit. Okay, well, no. And so then, Andy, you said, you know, it's a good reason to have some confidence in Grayscale. Because experts who do the due diligence uh, on what to buy into, you'll still get exposure without that hassle of, you know, setting up wallets and having to worry about scams. What is Grayscale? So Grayscale is um, essentially it's a it's like a weighted index fund based on Bitcoin. So it's a traditional. GBTC. Yeah, GBTC. So it's a it's like a stock you can trade, um, oh, okay. essentially. Uh, Grayscale is the the company, and they it's run by um, the Ethereum Classic guy. Who's that? No, not Bob Summerwell. No, 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 not that guy. Um, the guy who Eric, uh, the guy who looks like a, a Ninja Turtles villain and owns CoinDesk. Barry, Barry Silver. How did? Yeah. You, that was a great Corey. I'm glad that you got that off of that <laughs> off of that description. Well, I know that he owned that. So that's why it, uh, okay. it had nothing to do with Ninja Turtles, but oh, I thought <laughs> the fact I had of what he owned. 
Well, they, they've been trying to do like a similar thing that Gemini is trying to do. And Gemini, the exchange is just make crypto palatable for Wall Street and for retail investors, um, you know, sort of middle upper class people who can invest retail who aren't going to be, um, you know, an accredited investor that comes in and does a VC buy or private equity, but somebody who just wants to buy an exchange and, and hold. So if you want to get some exposure to crypto in your portfolio, your investment portfolio, you can through GBTC and it's a stock. It like just sits in your Vanguard portfolio or whatever. It's not something you don't have to get a wallet. You don't have to deal with all this stuff that D you just said, you know, people coming in and they're thinking, do I want to invest time and learn how to do all this? Um, well, you don't have to, you can get exposure to this stuff without doing any of that. You can, you don't have to get a wallet. You don't have to know what hash rate is. You don't have to do any, know anything other than orange coin go up and get me some orange coin. Um, what? You're not holding it. But. What good does that do? What are you talking like? That's a deep question. Yeah. Like, I know. <laughs> Only kind of question I ask, son. Uh, it doesn't do much good. It doesn't at all. It's just, it's, it's, a, just... it's a financial product and it's designed to make very silver money. I'd say it's a but sub also, use. It's like a, it's like, it's not even like a utility. It's like a sub utility. It's I'll like a proxy a for utility. It's a derivative because that's what it actually is. And so that, yeah. that's, it's, yeah, de- like, it's that's derived. not why we're doing any of this. Well, that's not why people do anything, but that's how Wall Street generates velocity of fucking commerce is derivatives. Like, holy shit. Uh, big screen TVs are selling off the hook. Let's sell a share that's a combination of all these big screen TV companies and say it's a tenth of their wealth. And boom, people are going to buy that. Like, that's what people do. They I made all my money wealth. off frozen orange juice concentrate. <laughs> Eddie Murphy. Yeah, yeah you guys you know. Go. How about Trading that? places. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> well done from the two of you. It's how it's how finance works. But But at the end of the day, there were a lot of people that were above the age of 45 back when we did our episode on GBTC about three years ago. And people actually like my fa- I'm talking about my family members because nobody listens to our shit. I'm talking about my family members, <laughs> like my uncles and aunts that were like, what's this GBTC thing? Can I throw it in my IRA? And I was like, yes, you can. And they were like, OK, I'll get a couple. It was easy for them. It sucks because it's like at the end of the day, internally, I'm just like, just fucking buy a bitcoin like what are you what are you doing but so in my experience with with people who are um uh more cautious around technology uh that they don't want to go and do all the wallets and learn all the things and and i have people who just ask me to hold their stuff for them oh yeah it goes it goes against everything right in crypto it's self-sovereignty you know or mm-hmm. self-sovereignty, sorry. But you you be your own bank. You you know have your own wealth. Your keys, your crypto. Like no, you hold this for me. Well, and, uh, it goes yeah. against a lot of that. I guess I gotta. I mean, I'm, I don't want to feel like a flip flopper, but the whole goal here is to have options to do that. I'm, I'm a broken record on this one. It's not about everyone has to do this. It's everyone has the option to do this. Yeah. So. So by that logic, you know, so so GPTC to me is one of those things. It's, it's not the same. You're right. It's, it's, it's different. It is a derivative and it sits in a different place and it's not your crypto, but um, it's a way for people to get exposure to that space. 
And, and what I like, what good I think it does is if people do have some, then they're going to pay attention to it. And you maybe you're going to pay attention more than the headlines. Maybe you're going to pay attention to a, a few good Twitter accounts if you're on there or online accounts. And, and maybe somebody gets Andreas. And then, Are there good Twitter accounts? Yeah, Andreas, right? Like people who are honest actors in the space and you kind of understand All right. that there is development beyond um, just price movement. That's all uh, to me. That's like a great place for a mass adoption sort of play is injecting money into the space so that we can keep innovating with the stuff that we build around it. Mm. I like that too. And back to your question, Corey, what's the good in that? Um, you just said it. Yeah, there's, there's more there, but then I'd like to ask you when it, like when it comes to derivatives, if you like apple chips, do you not like apples? Not necessarily. But how do you know? Like, what if you've only been fed apple chips? They're delicious. They're crispy, sweet. They explode in your mouth. You feel like it. You feel like it's healthy, but you know it's not. And you're just, you're just. Mm. And then someone presents you with what it comes from, which is an actual apple. What do you think the probability is that you're gonna like? that apple when you take a bite out of it depends on how big of a fat ass i am <laughs> just what so just, i see what you're doing here <laughs> you're gonna yeah. like the apple and and let's let's go a little deeper but it depends on the apple so the problem with scams in the space the problem that i really have with scams in the space is so you've been eating apple chips and you're like okay i'm gonna get an apple and you get a red delicious and it's a mealy wormy disgusting apple from the 50s and you're like why, why am the hell am i eating this and you get rid of it. Hey, Those are scams and red delicious are delicious. It's oh, in no, the name. Friend, you need to expand your apple game. Those are great. Yeah, yeah. What you, what's your guys' problem? Red delicious. delicious apples taste like ass. No, they are delicious. It's no. in the name, guys. <laughs> uh, it's a scam. It is a scam. Red it's delicious apples are a scam. <laughs> They are. I'm from. All right. I'm originally from Washington State. I know some apples. All right. Uh, we're like. Anyways, uh, but there's better apples out there. I, I need to expose you to some good apples. Oh, I eat apples. Man. I'm on my apple game. Honeycrisp, cosmic apples now. Oh, oh man, John Gold. Oof. But anyways, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm not on my apples. I'm gonna take that back. Pinatas. Oh yeah. But what I'm saying is, is like, when people are subscribed to that derived value then it does add value to whatever the the thing is derived from so like that's 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 kind of the good in it is okay. that say so say after 5 years someone's gptc appreciates 40% or something wild if they have any sense they're going to say like whoa i'm looking at my portfolio and it's like 3% of it appreciated 40% and then they investigate and they're like oh this is that thing this is that share of a tenth of a Bitcoin. Well, I probably should just buy a real Bitcoin and not own a tenth of a Bitcoin, right? That's that's kind of the good in it from an adoption standpoint, strictly investing, which I know, Corey, is not something you like about this space that much, but it, it's, it's natural. A, it's a natural part of it. It's just it's it's like 60 percent of the space right now. It's not a little part. It's it's people are getting in it of the like, of the attention of this space. People don't like the possible future where they don't even need a wallet anymore because everything that's important to them is like secured through the Ethereum network and working through 
dApps on their phone and they can have confidence that their phone is their thing. Are you like, talking about like it, a real like physical money wallet? Yeah, I'm, but I'm talking. Yeah, I'm talking about a real physical wallet, which I don't think ten years from now we'll need anymore. Quite honestly, like there's already some countries doing you know digital IDs. But, um, there's people don't get into the space for that cool shit. They get into space because they're like, whoa, like Bitcoin was a hundred bucks and now it's ten thousand. I'm gonna make me some money, and like, <laughs> like that's just what it is. We'll get past it, but. Going back to the conversation that you said about uh, Grayscale, Andy, I said the eventuality is trusted entities that help regulate the social aspect of this tech. Um, everything centralizes. Decentralization is fun to experiment with, though. And then I said my perspectives have anamorphed into Eeyore. Uh, <laughs> and Explain that. Explain that. Everything centralizes. What do you mean by that? I don't think that it's a bad thing. <clears throat> that was weird. Sorry, I'm under the weather. Centralization of what? What did you say? Centralization of what? I think most everything centralizes. And uh, it's an efficient way to live. Like It's how we've gotten this far as humans. Like, for example, like plumbing is a centralized trade where... A whole humans were doing plumbing individually, and they were like, you know what, this like sucks. Like, I don't even want to know how to do this. Like, scrubbing this shit out of a tunnel. Like, no. Like, how about like one person just learns it to the core, and then we've got this trade of plumbing that centralized knowledge and skills and talent, all in a sector we call plumbing. Cool. I would call that a community. Electrician. I mean, yeah, there's a community of plumbers right now. I'm like, pretty that, sure. That's like then it's it's a, it's a bastardization of the word centralized. It's that information like or knowledge it. is, I guess, centralized am- amongst that community. But there isn't one person that doles out knowledge to anyone that does any type of plumbing, and you have to go to them if you want to learn something. It's a group, and anyone can yeah, enter and join that group with plumber, work. If you want to be a plumber, there is one organization or probably one organization in every state that you'd have to apply to to get your plumber's crack card. But what I'm saying is like in reality, it's muddy. Like it's not just like you delegate a bunch of things to somebody so that you can get something done. And when we talk about the need for decentralization, the only reason for decentralizing things is is isn't a binary thing it's not centralized or decentralized it's 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 a it's a spectrum in a very real way and what you're decentralizing is differentiated upon like what you need right and for a lot of the blockchain stuff it's a decentralized decentralization of power and trust and so that you don't have to rely on someone to manage your money for you you rely on a system that has really good mechanics built into it that doesn't have human greed associated with it in terms of how it operates so that you don't have to trust a human to deal with your money and give him the ability to take advantage of that power. You take away anyone's ability to, like, or you minimize in a lot of ways, 
anyone's ability to take advantage of their power by distributing that power over a large group of people with various interests. And that works within something, but if you look, but it's also centralized in a lot of ways, the information of the Bitcoin network is certainly centralized. Is it not? Cause it's not a one ledger. So like what you say about, like you were saying earlier, there is no quote unquote inherent good or bad between centralization and decentralization. It's, yeah, it's a discussion not. about what you are doing and why you are doing it. And a lot of the things that this technology came out to do is trying to decentralize something that has historically always been held like power that has always been held by very few that is very easy to take advantage of for the people who hold it. And there's nothing mm -hmm. anyone can do about that. And that's what they're trying to further distribute distribute across many people so that it's much more difficult for a single person or even a small group of people to take advantage of power. Let me propose something. So I'm, I'm thinking about um, plumbing again because I like these analogies. Uh, but I'm not thinking about plumbers. I'm thinking about um, city water, municipal water systems. So uh, a long time ago, before municipal water systems, everybody had their own household plumbing. You, know, you dug a hole in the ground. If you were running pipes to somewhere, you ran your own water to uh, you know a, a ditch somewhere in, in the back. And everybody had a decentralized water system. As people got together and lived in cities more and more, we've realized that that doesn't work. We need some sort of centralized system for the water to run for sanitation and everyone, everything else. Um, and over time, those systems became, they're extremely centralized in cities, right? They're these major water treatment plants all over the place. Um, but you don't have to rely on them. You can move out of the city. It, it, it is that water is sort of this decentralized naturally thing just because of based on geography. You can move out to the country, you can uh, run your own, you know, sewage tank and, and such things. I've got all that. Um, I run on yeah, well. you got that. I used to have it. I moved into town and it's fantastic. You don't have to deal with it. <laughs> um, um, and it, but, but you have these options. And over time, those options change. Things become more or less centralized. Um, the same with banking, I think. Uh, uh, it, a long time ago, the beginning of the, uh, let's see, it would be the 20th century, um, there were a ton of regional and community banks. They ran, they were, were banks around America. And over the century, they sort of coalesced in power. They became more centralized into major metropolitan areas, global finance, into these, right, the Fed in the, uh, um, whatever it was, late 40s, 50s, um, into these more centralized systems. So what I think we see is this ebb and flow of centralizing to decentralizing. Mm -hmm. and, and what I'm really excited about with crypto blockchain is, is not that it will, bam, decentralize everything. It's that it pulls at the tail and lets decentralization happen. It lets you opt out mm -hmm. of a centralized system. The closest you could get really before is you take cash. You can do cash only and nobody tracks your transactions. It's anonymous. You can manage it how you want. You stuff it in your mattress. You're still dependent on the inflation rate and, and, and the Fed for, for those things. But that's pretty much as close as you can get. Um, so, so that's what blockchain does. It, it, it allows people, those, those long tail people, people who are not necessarily just happy sitting right in the middle and dealing with the centralized services, you can go out and move to the country, dig your own well, or you can go and get yourself a, a Bitcoin wallet and, and be your own bank. Yeah. It gives those options. It makes those options available. And that's not necessarily brings... mass adoption. I want to turn it back to why that's a good thing. 
is because when things are overly centralized, like you said, Corey, people take advantage. And historically, that has had that has been what's happened is that the financial products and where you lay your money and put your money, your bylaw have to put it there. So then they get all of the benefit of your money just sitting there. Right. You go to a bank and they give you they give you this pamphlet that's like earn 0.11% on your savings account. And you're like, what? I might as well wipe my ass with that. Like, what do you want me to do with 0.11% interest? I got I'm not sitting on five billion dollars where 0.11% is gonna pay for somebody's college education. No, that's not gonna happen for me. What and then but by the way, you have to like have a bank account, you have to have these things to exist well. In, in our society, but they're taking advantage of all the benefit of it. But now, since crypto's come along, things like decentralized finance can allow you to set your wealth elsewhere and get the same kind of um, benefit of it compounding and um, having financial products that work for you instead of having financial products that work for a bank. And you just get like, not even the breadcrumbs, you get like the empty bread bag and you've got to like lick the flavor off of the inside and that's basically what everyone's been getting for so long yeah. and i think that goes to what you're talking about Corey. that's why this stuff is good it's now you have an option and that's that's what needed to be decentralized now for the record i work in the financial industry and not all banks are like that i'm gonna totally not all banks this um I'm not, <laughs> i don't want to get into it but uh um, my friend is a bank and no, <laughs> <laughs> there's a ton of community banks and credit unions in the United States and across the world that are small institutions that keep rural communities totally afloat that are getting just as screwed by big banking um, as, as individuals are. So, um, it, so it's not all banks. There are people out there who are just trying to be a safe institution to keep your money, but then so they got to compete. Is it a similar situation to like local coffee shops and like Starbucks? Yeah, 100%. Or like, you know, like your local grocer and Walmart. Yeah, exactly. Small business exact same thing. Versus, small business versus. Mm-hmm. But I, that's the big oh, thing. Like it's, it's even like I say, crypto is better than that because, like you said, well, but like both of you said, one, it allows you to, um, for those people who would like to conduct themselves outside of the current system, they have the option to do so. Whereas before they only had cash, now they have digital cash, mm-hmm. so they can conduct themselves on the internet, which drastically expands their reach and ability to do things. Um, in a modern way, while uh, while also upholding their own principles, right, or not, or opting out of a specific system. Um, and what you're saying earlier, D, or both of you're saying, is that we know we we did we never had that option to opt out. We had to put our money some specific place, and and well, and only do that. There is no way to say, well, I don't want to do this. I want to go somewhere else. I'm going to go do X. Because X never existed. Now we have mm-hmm. Bitcoin and Ethereum and potentially other chains coming out where you can put your money somewhere else, participate in those systems, and be okay and, and like not have to worry too much. So this is going to be the challenge, Corey. This is the next step that I've been like, I guess, trying to put together in this like slew of uh, words over the last five years. There's going to have to be a central entity run by a bunch of humans that says it's okay for humans that don't want to use the bank's lines of code and want to use their own lines of code for their, for their wealth. 
that's going to have to happen. I don't know what you mean by that. I mean, right now, there are people that are doing all this fun stuff outside of the banking system and growing wealth. But guess what happens when they try to get back into regular life? Well, there's this nasty gray area of taxes. There's this, are you doing illegal shit? There's this all this bullshit that you shouldn't have to deal with if you're living earnestly. There's going to have to be an organization that says, yes, people can opt out of the banking system. And they can, instead of using the bank's lines of code, they're going to use their own lines of code and decentralize some sort of cryptocurrency network that maintains their wealth. Because there's no difference between me using the banking system to maintain and grow my wealth or me using something yes, there that is. now exists. Yes, there is. And, that one, and it's exactly what you say. One is regulated, the other is not. Exactly. It's that's the difference, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's up to the individual jurisdictions of where you live. Like it's not, You don't belong to one community. You can't be <sighs> a citizen of the internet and nothing else. You live somewhere. And by, phys- by that physical location of where you were born and who you, who you interact with and where you pay taxes, you are a citizen of that particular community. And you have to abide by those rules. If you don't like it, hopefully you live in one where you can leave. Yeah. But, but that's that's just that's how it I'm works. So like, like that's 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 how it works. If you want to use this stuff and also be a citizen of the of 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 whatever state you're in, you have to find a way to reconcile those two. I but that's what I'm saying is like what's the difference between the bank's regulations and the code's regulations? If both people are living earnestly. Uh, one's one's paying fat stacks to the people who are making regulations, the other one isn't. I mean, I'm talking about the actual <laughs> difference. I'm talking abstractly here. Oh, nothing. But anyways, we we have a lot more. Hey, Andy, we we talked a lot more. Who's the guest? I'm I'm curious. Yeah, sorry. Who's the interview? Uh, you, oh no, the interview. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Not, not me. No, you no, thought, no, he, thought he was being some passive aggressive shit. Like, <laughs> who's uh, the guest here, D? Yeah, who's like, who's on we'll here talk. to talk? Sorry, sorry. I'm gonna talk to you more. Uh, Isabella Bagueros. Uh, <laughs> She is the uh, executive director of the tour uh, network, which is awesome. Um, okay. Sorry, I missed I that one. I don't want to step on her yet. I want to give her an intro, but um, uh, you guys interviewed Carl Schroeder, right? Yeah, I did. So I'm I'm reading his book right now, and it is everything about what you trailer. guys were just talking about. Book it's, trailer coming at you from Andy in the world. Called, it's called Stealing Worlds. Stealing Worlds, and. <laughs> It's crypto heavy. The guy really knows his stuff, and it's all about, you know, geolocation and um, uh, sovereignty and, and internet sovereignty and national sovereignty and, and identity and privacy and all this sort of thing. So I, I, I'm not going to go into it because we've been at this for a while. You don't need to because we're going to go into it in a further episode. Oh, I can't wait! In next week's show, all right, bring me in for that. Coming, one. Up, about coming up next at the end of the book. Um, I did buy that book. Um. I read the first chapter and then passed out on the plane. But this dude, I like that. I like his writing. Oh, Let's so we're gonna our guest, you know, <laughs> huh? Who, who who's the guest? Uh, <laughs> Isabella Bagueros is her name. Uh, executive director of the Tour Network. Um, <clears throat> so if you don't know what Tour means, the Onion Routing or it means something Onion Routing. I'm pretty sure it's the. Uh, but it was a <laughs> network that was invented by four entities, four international entities 
our the U.S.'s entity that contributed to it was the actual Navy, the Naval Research Academy, which is very interesting that our military would make something that would m- make the Internet like har- more private. Are you serious? Um, <laughs> huh? No. Do you know I mean, what they're trying to do? <laughs> yeah. I, it's just it's like, hmm. But anyways, it, it's so easy to turn into a conspiracy theorist in 2020. It's, oh, like... it's, it's not. There's nothing conspiracy theory about it. The, the, the people who run things, who have secrets, who would like to keep those secrets to themselves, would like to invent networks where they can communicate amongst themselves and they can't be. Well, keep taken. it secret. Don't let the whole public use it. <laughs> But uh, then okay. that's a trick. <laughs> then you create another network that's super, super secret, and then give people the secret network, and then you fucking monitor the shit out of the secret network while you've got a secret, secret network. And then I hope you, you know, I hope you name things the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's on the triple secret network? I don't know. I was only on double secret. Fuck. We weren't watching double secret. We we're watching single secret. Ah, oh, fuck. Who named this bullshit? Anyways, uh, the the Onion Routing Network, um, you probably use it if you're way into crypto, and it it, it uh, obfuscates your IP address around the globe and does some other shit. But uh, I'm probably not doing any justice. So without further ado, here's Isabella. I do apologize ahead of time. Uh, the sound quality was rough. I think she actually was like talking through a sponge. <laughs> and not even like a wet sponge. So it was very difficult. I did my best. Um, but if you do want to reach out to her, she's easy to find. I mean, come on. Uh, so here it is. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We're bringing you another amazing interview. Um, shout out to Alicia, who's been who's been helping us put these interviews together. Not Alicia. Hiroja, shout out to you, our producer. <laughs> so without further ado, we're going to jump right into this interview. Um, today, we're joined by the executive director of the Tour Project. Yes, that Tour Project, um, Isabella Bagueros. Uh, thank you for, for stopping by. Uh, thank you for the invitation. So, yes, um, I'm Isabella Bagueiros. I'm TOR's uh, executive director. Um, I actually started at TOR in 2015 as a project manager, one of the first ones, <laughs> and uh, and I've been the ED for the past uh, year. Actually, in November, in market one year. Um, yeah, I'm originally from Brazil, um, but currently living in New York City, and I come from the free software world since the late 90s actually uh so strong on the democratization of information and communication uh fronts um was always a topic of my interest and i also have a little bit of uh, history with the industry uh, before Tor, i was at twitter for a while and uh, but i'm happy that i'm back on the free software world where i feel i feel more at home <laughs> So uh, I, I said that like really grandiose as if everyone under the sun understands what the tour project is, but not everyone does. So maybe if you could, you know, Dr. Seuss it to the listeners real quick 
and help anybody who doesn't understand what Tor is uh, understand it a little bit better. Yes, of course. Um, the Tor helps provide uh, privacy um, and security uh, protections to people while they're browsing the internet. It makes them anonymous as they are browsing the um, websites online. Also, uh, it's a great tool to help people bypass censorship because of the properties it has. Uh, it helps on that front as well. Um, what it is is actually the main thing. There are two components. One is the network. We have a distributed network who is run by volunteers, so we don't control this network ourselves. Uh, it's around 6,000 servers out there. Uh, and the name TOR stands for the onion routing uh, technique, which is what we apply on this network. So when you're browsing the internet, instead of you accessing the server that is hosting the website or other servers that you want to access directly, you will bounce between three, ser three or four servers instead of our network. And the communication between each one of these nodes, it's, uh, it has a different layer of encryption, just like the layers of an onion, that's the, for the name of the onion rotate name. Uh, it does way, it does a lot of other things that is more complex, but this is a very simple way that explains that before you access your website, you will bounce between three of the servers around the world. The communication between each one of them will be encrypted so they don't know what the other, who the other is talking with. So the mid node, for instance, has no idea who you are. And the last node, which we call it the exit node, uh, only knows the website to open, but has no idea the, which one was the first node or even mm. not to mention who you are. So this is one side of, uh, of it. It has other things to protect us against, uh, uh, certain types of attacks that can be done on the network, then it's more complex, but this is the simple way of explaining what the network does. On the other side, we also have a browser, which is the top browser. Uh, it's a fork of Firefox, and that browser uh, bootstraps this connection. Actually, I'm sorry. If I got distracted a little bit, I'm sorry. Uh, this um, browser bootstrap the connection to the network, but it not only does that, but also has modification to it to protect your privacy on the client side because um, you're normally like browsers can give away a lot of information about the user. So we also modify the browser to block, block that or change to make sure that whatever information is being taken, it's... Um, masquerading and trying to transform other users to look the same way. So the combination of those two things, the browser and the network, is one, like, it's a very holistic um, solution for in preserving privacy, uh, allow, allowing anonymously, uh, uh, people to anonymously browse the internet, and also on the top of that provide uh, censorship circulation. Um, normally, you would not see solutions that cover as many fronts as Tor does. Like you can see the VPN that might provide you um, one way to masquerade your IP address. You might see certain browsers that might provide some level of client protection on the privacy side, but you're not you you don't see necessary a solution that can 
cover all these fronts on the client, on the network, and have like a very strong and the censorship component onto it. Hmm. So, so how does onion routing differ from from garlic or tomato routing? Oh, it, it, that goes into a more deep technical level. I'm sorry. I'm absolutely <laughs> joking. I'm absolutely joking. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Was... I'm like, what do you like? I don't even know. What you... <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I'm sorry. You were saying like I don't know what he's asking about. Like I'm gonna just. <laughs> I should have just let you ride with it and be like, hmm, what's she gonna, what's she gonna mm, come up with? Yeah. No. Um. Okay. So how does that dip? So one, I had a question in there, and that was like. You said there's 6,000 distributed servers all across the planet. Is that something that it costs to do? Well, obviously it costs like electricity, but how does one spark up a, a Tor server if they want to? How does that work? Do I just, like, how does one become a servicing node on the network? Yeah, so that is different ways for you to, there's different types of servers that can help the network actually, right? Uh, the 6,000 that I talk about, those are like the public ones that are part of the network. We have another 2,000 servers. They are not public. And normally mm -hmm. they use it uh, for people to bypass censorship against Tor because one way to censor Tor is to look, since all net, the public ones, you can see know the list of the IPs, so you can easily grab that list and uh, block all of it, you know? So we... Um, what we do, one of the techniques we have created to bypass this type of censorship, I call it bridges. So our entry points to the network that are not public and you need to request um database that we keep with all of those. And then it's like a, a per request thing so people cannot crawl it, this database easily. And we have a whole other logic on, behind it too, on how to distribute this in a safe way. So... People can run a bridge. Um, a bridge is actually a type of server that is not going to be used as often, so it's not going to see a lot of traffic. It can is also something like the we, I'm saying the IP is not public, so we say that like normally it's a very low cost type of a, um, a contribution. So people could run a bridge from the office easily. It's not something that also gets into a lot of trouble <laughs> mm -hmm. as uh, in comparison to the XNO, right? Like where you're going to be seeing the traffic of, uh, I don't even know, hundreds of thousands of people accessing the internet, different things on the internet. And sometimes some of the things might be something that law enforcement doesn't like and therefore you will receive a letter. But that's a... That is a, we do have documentations and a lot of recommendations on how to do this in a safe way because at the end of the day, you are providing infrastructure. You're not responsible for content. So it's safe to run an exit node. You just need to be prepared for this type of uh, engagement. You know, like we, we have people like Boing Boing, they run uh, exit nodes. They send the same response to so any request they receive and they haven't seen no trouble. Um, Anyways, we do, on our documentation, we do recommend that you speak with the ISP if you are setting up a server for the Tor network to check with them before some ISPs don't like that. So it's good to check. If it's, we don't recommend that you run an extra node for your home, but it's good to not mix it that with your local connection. So we do recommend if you contribute in that way to put it in a data center. 
also talk with the data center about the policies, explain what's going, everything. If you do uh, have a conversation beforehand, it saves you a lot of trouble, you know, or issues on the way of providing that type of service to contribute with or like, uh, if your ISP don't like the fact that you're running a Tor server, asking them beforehand before they cut off your connection, you know, makes it a lot of trouble on that front, you know, like things like that. But in general, we like a middle node or a guard node, which is the point of entry to the network or the bridge. Those should be something that you should run without any issues whatsoever. Like they also don't consume a lot of network. Uh, a lot of uh, traffic, so like, like I said, the bridge is not something public is used just in case one tour is censored. So you can even run that with a very low infrastructure. For more details, I do recommend going to communityatorproject.org, and you're gonna see the uh, relay operators community space in there with a lot of really good documentations and recommendations on how to cooperate with that. That is another thing that I want to mention, which is not necessarily a relay that is part of our network, but it's also a new way you can contribute to help, especially to help people bypass censorship against Tor, which is a pluggable transport we are running. It's still a better version, but we at Tor, we have an anti-censorship team. And in this struggle between, you know, like uh, with the censors, you're always trying to create Solutions that are very expensive for the sensor to block, but also you don't want to be expensive for you to run. And um, we've been trying to build stuff like that, especially because when you're providing those solutions, you need to pro you the cost of the bandwidth can be very high if you need to pay for that cost. You know, so Snowflake is a pluggable transport that people can contribute bandwidth by adding an add-on on the Firefox browser or the Chrome browser. And what it does is con to contribute bandwidth to this pluggable transport that masquerade the connections to the protocol to pretend to be WebRTC. So if the sensor is looking for something that looks like Tor on the traffic when they're inspecting the package, they will actually not see Tor uh, package, but they will see something that looks like a WebRTC connection, which can be um, um, Google video chat connection, you know, like uh, some video chat going on and of course it would be super expensive for them to just block all video chats in the in the in the network that they are um in the country that they are and so it's with it's a solution that is expensive to the sensor but it would be super cheap on the side of providing because anyone will be able to contribute with bandwidth by running this add-on on the browser it's super lower tech like you don't need to know how to set up a server or anything like that it's super simple and um, so we, this is another way that people can think about if they want to contribute to Tor. Hmm. So, you know, it started from like very earnest beginnings, you know, like people just wanted people to have access to their own privacy, right? Back in the, back in the mid nineties. And now mm -hmm. I feel like there is a connotation that if you're running a tour, if you're if you're on the internet using tour, then you're doing something nefarious. And like, how can tour, like, I guess, beat back at that narrative that just because you want your privacy, uh, you're not doing nefarious things. You just you just want to surf the internet, and nobody needs to know what you're doing. 
Yeah, I yeah, I totally agree. I feel like right now we're running a campaign actually that is called "Take Back the Internet" with Tor, with uh, and I wrote a blog post that talks a little bit about back in the nineties, you know, like how the internet was, you know, like and how is it still possible to you know to to take it back? And I feel like uh, on the privacy debate though. I feel that we have we are seeing some shift on that, which is favorable for those who have been defending privacy. I think, like um, especially after Snowden revelations, there was a sense of like when we would bring up privacy, people would say, "But I have nothing to hide." You know, like do you have something to hide? That's why you want privacy. And um, and I maybe that was because and. This is me coming, you know, from my background from the global south and all of that, you know, like maybe because of the people uh, who are like benefited by the lack of privacy had certain type of privilege, you know, and that was not hitting them yet. Um, I feel that in the past years, though, with some phenomena that happened in society, you know, the debate has changed. I feel people now are perceiving privacy and the understanding that actually means what the core that makes you the human being you are, you know, like your behavior, you know, the things you like, the things you're curious about, the things you're afraid of, you know, the thing that worries you, the things that you, I don't know, like um, you are trying to learn about, you know, like all those, like, uh, makes you happy, you know, all the little things that makes you the human being you are, you know. And I feel people are learning that because they are seeing the misuse and the abuse of learning about your behavior to do the type of, like, uh, targeting campaigns online, you know, spread of information that change, they are changing the social context where people are living at. And we have seen these in the UK with Brexit, you know, we have seen here in the United States with Trump. I have seen this in Brazil with Bolsonaro. The social contacts have shifted very strongly, you know, and mm-hmm. people learned the, the impact of the misuse of the online behavior on those types of techniques. You know, that that thing has an impact on that, you know, has a thing to play into it. And people are caring about what, they are doing with the online behavior, you know, that, that is a question and not necessary that people know what to do about it. And there's a lot of conversations about what is the solution control of, you know, like, um, but that is definitely bringing back the privacy debate in a better way, in a better perception, you know, they're like, we need to defend this, what you're doing with the, you know, what my fingerprint on the online, my behavior online, the human being I am, you know, like how you're mm-hmm. abusing that knowledge, you know, like it's, yeah, it's something be, that I, I appreciate today. Yeah. And then it's weird is that uh, when I was a kid, it was just understood. If you're on the Internet, you're anonymous. You're not who you are. Just be a screen name. Mm-hmm. And then somehow now, by the time I'm in my mid 30s, it's like if you're on the Internet, give up everything. In fact, send your blood type through the mail. And send your blood type online. Go for it. Like, <laughs> everyone should know who you are at all times. And it's just so strange how that transition has been so smooth over the years. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I was, like, in the late 90s, I was part of a project and went to, like, um, some, it still exists, but, like, was the boom was into, like, the early 2000s. 
And it was an independent news website where it had an open publish button, like anyone could publish an article. You didn't need to have a user account. There was no concept of user account. Anyone can open the form, type what they want, and publish with whatever name. And by default, the people managing that website would not log IPs either. You know, like, so we really didn't know who was publishing because we didn't have the IP address of who was publishing either. And it was a nice experiment. I lived it, and I feel like it it became um, hundreds and hundreds of websites around the world doing the same thing with thousands of people, you know, managing it and millions more being users, like consuming the information, publishing, and so forth. Like the one... In Brazil, at some point in 2004, we had like 4 million page views per uh, month, you know, like it was not a small thing if you think about like a site project run by volunteers, you know. But mm-hmm. it, at the time, there was, you know, like you're saying, there was no need to associate the information you're providing online to, back to yourself, you know, like. It was like it was to the world, you know, like the source was kind of like, I don't want, I don't need the status. I mean, you had identities and those identities would grow and be popular in a way or another in their own little words online. But um, right now there is a need of self-promotion and back into your real identity, your you know, like your offline identity to give you the credit and other kind of like a very uh, self-centered type of uh, mentality that I feel in the beginning of the internet, it was not the main point of it, you know? Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, but like you said, now you got to tie your online life to your offline life. So that is what it is, I guess. But yeah. I guess, so So where does Tor intersect with Bitcoin? That's, that's like the big question. Because right? <laughs> um, there... You know, a lot of dark markets, they call them, exist. It's very Hollywood whenever I see that. It's a dark market. But mm-hmm. um, a lot of people give Tor some, uh, let's just call it heartburn, because it allows for these, quote, unquote, dark markets to exist with a little bit of impunity. I don't even know how they get shut down to begin with, quite honestly. But um, have you had to kind of manage any crises involving any of these, uh, yeah. let's just call them pirate playgrounds. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like, um, yeah, like we do, I do have to deal with a lot of, uh, in, which is normal, you know, people want to know what we think, what we're doing about it, what we think about our technology being used for it, you know, like uh, it's normal that people want to know our opinion on it. I do agree with you on the fact that like, Dark markets, dark web, you know, it, those are terms that are very loose, you know, and they are used mostly in the media to like simplify the matter, you know, like, oh, it's dark, it's dangerous zone, and it's like, it's huge, you know, like it's out of control, you know, like, um, but reality is far from that. I feel, I feel like, uh, we shouldn't, um, uh, you know, like try to understand what is the term and like what actually is being talked about because this is one of when i break down to people for instance the number what people call it the like a let me just go back a little bit and explain the technology right uh, the same way i was explaining to people that you can browse any website anonymously through the tor browser people can also offer websites anonymously through tor so they can create websites that are 
we call it onion servers. And normally the domain of the sites are sequency of letters and numbers, like a hash. It can be 60, it can be 56 or something, depends on the version you're running. But either way, it's a long sequence of things, of numbers and letters, um, and then ends with a dot onion. And we'll only open if you are running the Tor browser because it only works inside of the Tor network. It doesn't work on a normal, like in going out of an XNO to the internet, going to a normal DNS, you know, like a normal domain. Um, so those onion servers is what could be, and I say could be, the classification of what they call the dark web. I say could be because you see the main, the name dark web on being mentioned on different moments, you know, like sometimes the media is talking about an epi node on the like open normal internet, whatever, and they call it because some hacker dumped a tax in there and they say, oh, they dump it in on the dark web and it's not, it's like an ether node, you know? So anyways, um, it could be the definition of that. But if you also look, which most of the listeners have seen probably, uh, the iceberg picture that shows like the, the top of the iceberg is the internet and the bottom of it, is like the obscure, dark web, deep net, and so forth. So if you think of that image, which is a lot, use it a lot to describe what the term means, uh, and you think about if you look on a metrics.topproject.org website and look at the number of uh, onion addresses that are there, it's counting around 90,000, 100,000. So if you think there's like 100,000 of those sites out there, and you look at the bottom of the iceberg, it's not really that big, right? Like it's already like a contradiction. Um, also, if you, we have seen people doing research, you know, like in looking at, you know, like comparison of like uh, the type of uh, servers that they could identify inside of onion servers, also the type of uh, activity that's going on and comparing that with the activity outside of the Tor network and the percentage of activity that could be malicious is very small. Mm-hmm. If if you say that like, I don't know, 10% of those 90,000 sites might be doing some illegal activity, and then you take the 10% of like the internet or the network, the sites available outside of the Tor network, it would be much more, you know, than, you know, like, um, um, in quantity because of just like how much, how bigger are, is the internet, you know, like in comparison with our network and the service inside of a network. So the whole concept of like the bottom of the iceberg and all of that is kind of like mystical, you know, like it's just to make it sound nice, more interesting in a way. Um, that I'm just talking about one, one point of this whole thing, right? Like, so just to take it out there, they're like, they actually, if there are like the, the number of like uh, activities that we don't agree with, like and we don't support to be using a technology for, it's very small in comparison with everything else that's happening inside of our network. And I wanted to reinforce that everything else that's happening inside of a network is for, go, can go from just someone who simply don't want to be tracked because they want to be able to browse for merchandise without having ads around us uh, falling them and stuff like that. 
from people who actually depends on or to to stay alive you know like to protect their location and be able to keep the voice you know like and uh hurt by the world and the conditions and the situation that they are mm-hmm. so you know like that's the majority uh of the use of our network what is used it for um so yeah so then i one can say but your technology still allows you know because of the all the protection security it provides it to it allows people to like hide themselves while they're doing illegal activities you know and Yes, but I can name multiple other things in the world that can be done the same way, you know, like, and one, one person once mentioned to me, like a random person who's not even technical when I was explaining what Tor was and the critiques around Tor and they right away said, but nobody talks about the Canary Islands and other fiscal paradise where, you know, like that's way more, like, money that, if it can be traceable, could go to really bad things, you know, like, and nobody mm-hmm. is actually being proactively like, um, condemning it in such a way that kind of like the dark islands or whatever, you know, like, so as, it's just a matter of perspective. <laughs> as executive director, do you, do you have to catch a lot of like, do you have to put out a lot of fires? Like imagine mm-hmm. uh, like, uh, Oh, what government wants to talk to me today? Like, is that is that kind of like a day to day? No, 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 no. That is not. That is no. It's not that intense. I think we also have like a lot of people out there who defend store and are in different front lines, also helping us. You know, it's not all on me, and we don't have like that kind of like. It's not a, a as intense as it is, but like we are keeping our eyes on different things. I can tell you some of the things right now. I keep my eye on is the. Section two, 230 debate. That is one thing that will like depend on the outcome of it. My effect or what and is many others. Of Say course. it one more time. Uh, section 230. What is from that? From the SEC. Section 230 uh, is like a law that the beginning of the internet is being used by the infrastructure providers or service providers that are not necessary content uh, curators or providers. So. Google used that, ISPs used that. So for instance, if someone is using an, their ISP connection to access a website to learn how to kill their wife and actually kill their wife, it's not the ISP fault that they could reach their website or Google if they use Google to search for such a website, you know? Mm-hmm. So that kind of like we're providing the infrastructure, we're not responsible for the content. But right now there's a huge debate around content, who's responsible, they are challenging, like, um, this was one of the things that social media networks would use as well to say that they're not responsible for content, but the moment they start creating tailored content, featuring your timeline, you know, they kind of being challenged on that front saying you are controlling content, you know, <laughs> you cannot use the excuse anymore. So it's a big debate right now and the, the government wants to change section to 30 and we don't know what is the outcome of that change if that change does happens and that's why we're watching and trying to understand of course all the moments where there are being discussions about backdoors on you know and against cryptography and stuff like that we are definitely falling and paying attention but 
we don't have, I don't deal with, <laughs> with uh, people who want to, I mean, you know, like agencies, whatever, putting me against the wall, anything like that. No, no. But like, we do talk openly with uh, law enforcement, anyway, anyway, as a matter of fact, who wants to know about the and what orders, you know, so we do meet with people from, you know, different governments around the world, with like, users with human rights with flowers we meet with policymakers with people who uh, do lobby with anyone who wants to understand and wants you know are worried about how the future of the internet will be and privacy online will be and learns about to and wants to understand what we do we we are open to meet and explain you know of course we would we would do that okay so how how's tour get funded? Like I can't imagine it's it's easy, or maybe it is. <laughs> I don't know. I I'd imagine that it's got to be anonymous. It's got to be kind of like a Wikipedia, where every once a year Wikipedia <laughs> is blasting me with notifications. So uh, uh, yeah, we, we are right now blasting people. No, I mean we're not blasting people, but we are. Like I said, we're doing a year year end fundraising campaign. Uh, we. The campaign team this year is take back the internet with store. So, and we're actually doing really great. We, we have read past the amount that we raised the last year during the same time. So it's doing nice. And this is actually the front that we really want to grow as our revenue for Tor. You know, like we are nonprofit and we depend on grants and we depend on donations to survive, <laughs> literally. So the, Direct donations for us as a technology organization is really helpful because it allows us to have a more agile approach to our roadmap and our development, you know. A uh, grant proposal, which is still a big chunk of our revenue, it's um, the, the grant proposal is problematic. And I say, like, this is like uh, in, for software development, we're like leaving both like the waterfall model and the agile model at the same time and drive everybody crazy because you are writing a grant proposal. You put pieces you want to execute on your roadmap there. You send to them. It takes around like six to eight months on back and forward before you know if this is going to be approved or not. And then you start executing. So like you need to think about what you want to execute around like eight months before you actually can execute it, you know? Mm. So, and of course, once you get the grant, you're working on grant. We recalculate our capacity to have, of course, free time for emergencies. But having a, a more agile approach to like what is on our roadmap and being able to move things around for any software company, for profit or non-profit, is the ideal model, right? And we want to reach that. So we have been investing on this direct donation, you know, like donors model, like you said, similar to Wikipedia since 2015. And Pottery has been doing great. And every year we see growing more and more. So it is very promising for us. Um, we are doing also, um, we do receive grants uh, from government, the United States government. We receive grants from the Internet Freedom Fund of the State Department. We receive a National Science Foundation Fund grant. Uh, we also receive grants from Sweden government. We have received it from the German government. Um, we 
also received grants from private foundations. We also received donations from corporations, private organizations. Um, so we have like a very diverse set of uh, uh, means of like the for revenue. One of the that we have been actually talking about cryptocurrency. <laughs> uh, this year we 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 had um, a donation system for people to give. Uh, using Bitcoin. I don't think we had that many other options for other currencies back in the day. And it was something, the method that we had, people didn't like it. And But we never had a, someone in the house to invest on this round. So now we have a fundraising director. She joined us around a year and a half ago. And she jumped in this world and she was like, I'm going to figure it out. And at the beginning of this year, around in March, we updated or the way people can donate to us with cryptocurrency. So we actually create a wallet for each type of currency. We heard feedback from the community and then we start engaging more with the community. And I think from that moment forward, it opened our eyes a lot because of course we know that there's a lot of values that both communities share, especially on the topic of privacy, you know, like, an, um, but, Whatever, for life reasons, I don't know. I cannot pinpoint like the specific reason, but it, we haven't got together, got closer, you know, like in a way of like uh, having moments like this, me talking a podcast from the cryptocurrency community, you know, like and talking about Tor, you know, like, and this has been flowing in a nice, very nice way, organic way, which is how it should be, of course, since that moment, you know, like she started connecting more and more with people from the community. We went to uh, the Bitcoin conference in San Francisco. Uh, we've been more and more getting closer with people. And that also community this year made a huge difference. And I would like to thank everybody who made a donation using Bitcoin and everything because they have helped us a lot, you know, like to gain the support, you know, like from the community throughout the year since we yeah. actually stop and heard what people wanted you know, like, and got a shit together. Sorry for saying <laughs> cursing on the show, whatever. But we, can, uh... we got that, you know, like it created like a whole, you know, like both ways. We learn a lot from the community and the community has been supporting us amazingly, you know, so I really appreciate that, you know. Yeah, we can be a loving community, except for to each other. We, the other, if you're like a fan of Bitcoin, you usually don't like a fan, you you're not going to like any of the other cryptocurrencies. I don't know what that's about, but anyways. <laughs> do you I see that you guys also take Bitcoin over the Lightning network too, which is basically yeah. like it was an accidental privacy boosting network that's kind of been latched on to the Bitcoin network as a second layer um for I guess, you know, transactions and transaction activity and it's kind of neat. I mean, Tor is all about privacy, and the Lightning Network kind of just does privacy nascently. So uh, it looks like a match made yeah. in heaven or the internet. Yeah, and uh, I love examples like that, you know, like of implementation of or technology and the privacy of another solution, you know. Mm -hmm. I really love the type of, of use of Tor, and, in that, and that's one of the things I believe the most, you know, that like this is what we use for. We can give your solution, you know, like all these components of security, privacy for free, literally, you know, like 
if you use take use of on your servers and the Tor network and so forth, you know. So yeah, it's it, for me it's great to see folks in the community picking this way and using and doing this type of implementation. It's really nice. Why uh why such like a shift? I see like I was looking at your history and you worked for your product manager for. Uh, international growth at Twitter, <laughs> and then you worked for the government of Brazil, and you know, like, why were you like, you know what? I think I need to start focusing. It's on not a shift, privacy. actually. It's not a shift. Uh, being like so in the nineties, I've been part of the free software movement, and at that time, it was about the control of the software. Right? It's very important. And once you control the software, you know what's going on. You know, you know what's happening, and uh, as we were providing, like I told you, even like side projects, we were careful about people's privacy. We were not logging people's IP addresses. When I worked for the Brazilian government, I actually, I was working, one of the projects I worked was the migration to free software of uh, the presidential palace would be the White House, the equivalent of the White House. And I, I want, the first thing I did on my first week was to do, do a boot on my machine, put Linux, and then I installed Vidalia because there was no Tor browser at the time, and I bypassed the firewall. And then the director who brought me in to help with the migration, other people as well, not, I was not alone, I told him, and he was like, that is exactly what I brought you here. Now you go tell people about, you know, what you did and the importance of, like, what you're doing, you know, and I, I was explaining to people there on the IT about Tor, what Tor was doing, the importance of like privacy. Uh, we were talking about encryption, we're talking about GPG and so forth, all these things. Um, when I work at Twitter, same thing. I, I had a, Twitter has a hack week, which is the first week of the quarter. The teams, the whole company stops and you can create any project and work during that week on that project if you can build a team to work with you. And then, you know, you some projects got shipped, some don't don't get. And one of the projects I did was the idea of incorporating Tor into Twitter app. And uh, of course, on iOS it's quite difficult to do so, but we managed to put uh, the proxy configuration on the Android client. And actually, at the time, because it was after you know the Irish Spring and the whole thing, uh, Twitter legal team was interested on in, like shipping that on the product. It was a hackwake project, it was actually called Twitter. <laughs> and um, and it got shipped. When I left Twitter, my goodbye letter, I said like, whatever you do, don't remove the proxy configurations on the Android app, you know, like keep it there. Cause a lot of people around the world depends on that to connect to Tor. And um, anyway, so it has always been something that, even though I've been in different working for different sectors, you know, like for the industry, for the government, and now I'm on the nonprofit. I, those topics was always important and things that I carry on during my, my lifetime online. Well, thank you for focusing on other people's privacy. Cause I know like 90% of the people on the internet just aren't focusing on that. So it's good that at least behind the scenes, someone cares. So, um, yeah, we didn't talk about Bitcoin too much, but I mean, what's the talk about aside from you can give Bitcoin to the tour project if you're listening via the Lightning Network? Um, do you have any? Do you have any Bitcoin, Isabella? 
Or is that personal? I that's a personal question. I used question. to. No, no, it's not. Don't answer I that used question. To have, I used Gordon. to have. And um, and then I went, my wallet went empty. And then it became mega expensive. And I was like, what should I do with my life? <laughs> but we do. Um, let me let me talk a little bit about Bitcoin, right? Like um, we do uh, at Tor, see the value on it. And other people at Tor my habit and be more active on this phone than I am. I, I, I as a matter of fact, like uh, where I live here in New York, I have seen already like in my neighborhood, in the neighborhood near mine, um, Bitcoin ATM machines in the most like un- unbelievable places you would think of one would exist. <laughs> and that is cool. You know, I feel like the popularization of it, it's very nice, you know, like, and it's the goal of it, you know? Um, so we, one of the ways, and if the community can give us feedback on it, we want to also give it back. You know, I, as a nonprofit, we need to cash out all the currency we receive right away. Um, and we are interested in ways how we can give more value to the currency to help the community, you know? So if people have any ideas out there that they can think of it that can help us on that, I would very be very interested in hearing that because I feel I can give you an example where I'm coming from with it. Um, when we we, we, create, we did the whole remake of our cryptocurrency donation page, one of the wallets we put in there was Monero. And I saw on the news that Monero value actually went up because we were accepting it as a donation. I don't know if it, that is any true on that correlation, but it was out there. So that kind of thing, like, I was like, I guess the popularization and more people using and giving value to it does help the whole uh, yeah, it does. project. So, yeah. And um, I was wondering, like, what else could be done that could help with that? You know, like, because that would be very interesting on, on that front as well. Hmm. To give it back, you know, in the sense of giving back, you know, maybe we could have a competition like we could make a T-shirt says like tour plus the Bitcoin podcast. And then if people buy that shirt from us, then they're entered into a contest and then you guys give them Bitcoin. That's an idea. I'm just spitballing. Yeah. Does that even work? And we can we can definitely continue talking about. It. <laughs> I mean, I I got ideas for days, probably too many for <laughs> this interview. But when it comes to giving away Bitcoin, it's all just about how much fun you want to have. So yeah, and, and there's other yeah ways definitely. To I mean, we 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 do um, yeah. That's actually one of the things that we have a sponsorship for is for uh, bug bunting, you know. So yeah. that could be a way. That could be a thing too. You know, give money to the currency. You paying your bug bounties in, in Bitcoin? You're gonna get a lot of help real fast. I'll yeah. Tell you that much. So, <laughs> um, yep. So there we go. That could be a thing. We do have a bug smash fund, so we can maybe separate part of this fund to be some way to give back to the community and pay for bug bunting with cryptocurrency. I'm saying this on the record, but for the record for the talk community, of course, I will consult with everybody because we are very democratic. <laughs> and then someone will listen to the podcast and be like, what? Wait, what are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't hear that internally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a joke. <laughs> so, um, I guess we'll ask one last question. In, in 10 words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? 
Bitcoin, you want me to describe how it works? I mean, describe the value of it, like uh, the mission and the, the proposition, the value proposition of it. The world is your oyster, Isabella. You okay. Whatever you want. <laughs> yes. Well, I feel the value proposition of having a currency that is democratic honest and by people, you know, it's, it's very important. And to have the um, mechanisms of pursuing, you know, building economy with detachment of the establishment, it's very important. And I, we might, some people might see strongly the value of it, just like with or where like it, it changes their life completely and allow them to do much more or, you know, uh, than they could do before. But I feel that some people might be just exploring and be a nice hobby and be an interesting thing to play with. But I feel that like um, the tendency of where we are and the world we live and how technology is become more and more part of our life, having solutions like this is extremely important because of uh, knowing it's kind of like you have a corner where you're taking the power back to the people, you know, and in different fronts of the technology frontier. And I feel it's Bitcoin mission is kind of is to do that, you know, on the economy side. And that is very important to have to exist. Nice. Coming right in at about 550 words. Our longest answer to that. No, I'm kidding. It's it very good. <laughs> things that you pointed out and, and things that get over that have been overlooked over the past you know 10 years that it's existed is that you know it's, it's, it's supposed to be able to help you keep yourself private and kind of detach yourself from existing financial systems that exist and monetary systems that yeah. exist and it still does that regardless of how far it's come and you know it's got futures trading on wall street and all the things that bitcoin is doing it's still allows you the option has that property yeah that property is still there and it's, that property never goes away and now even using the lightning mm -hmm. network with your small transactions it's even more private so yeah bitcoin's yes. a big fucking deal <laughs> so well yeah <laughs> isabella um thank you for for swinging by today we really appreciate no, thank it thank you so much for the invitation thank you if our community comes up with any great ideas as to how you can give away that Bitcoin, aside from just giving it to them, then <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure that we pass the word along. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And we're back. We hope you enjoyed that interview. with. Isabella I hope you Williams. learned more about Tor than how D introduced it. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> well, uh, you, you, you're on the tour network now. Um, it's it's uh it's a, for privacy. So hey, hey, we've got a security engineer here. Can I ask some privacy related questions? Sure. So I, I'm I don't I'm not on tour, but I got a VPN. Like what what is that VPN doing? It 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 says that my computer is coming from a different place, and I can set the. This place. is what your VPN is doing. Okay. Um. You go to reddit.com on your computer at home. Yep. What's happening is you're actually requesting 
you, you hit your, you, you type reddit.com into your browser and your browser sends a DNS request to a name server and says, hey, um, what computer or set of computers, what's the nearest computer that hosts reddit.com? Give me that IP address because that's what I want to connect to. And when you do that, you typically go to your ISP, uh, your internet service provider. And so when you, when you do stuff on the internet, and there's a tremendous amount of things that you do under the hood whenever you browse the internet, uh, you're sending all that information and asking your ISP to serve that information to you. When you get a VPN, you're asking someone else. You're routing all of that traffic. Uh, typically, uh, you're through an encrypted channel to a different IP. You're literally connecting. You're like, you're like tunneling all of your traffic through uh, your VPN service. And then that VPN service is then asking their IP, your ISP about that. And so if a bunch of people do this, it's hard to differentiate what you asked for and what someone else asked for. Uh, VPN services also say they don't keep logs. They don't mine this data for monetary profits, so on and so forth. Um, but they could. There's no real way for you to know whether or not they're doing it if you're paying for a service. All you're doing is obfuscating to your internet service provider what you're doing on the internet. So it's like a mixer, like a crypto mixer. In a sense, yes. But you're definitely moving the trust. You're just passing the buck to someone else and hoping or trusting that that person is doing a better job of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? giving you security and privacy than what your ISP would be doing, which there's no doubt in anyone's mind that they're mining your data. Hmm. Cool. Thanks. Yep, that's they're it. definitely mining your data. That's, that's it. That's all, that, that's all that's happening when you use a VPN is you're just changing who you're asking. Uh, and, the, and in the process, a lot of people are using that same person. And so it's, it's, it becomes, if they're not keeping logs, of who's asking what, then it's very difficult to know what that, uh, who's doing what within the VPN. Okay. Well, if you combine a VPN with Tor, then you're really doing it. That's typically, that's, that's the, I guess the way you would use Tor, you should do it through a VPN. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It was a it was an interesting interview. She it was it was tough though, tough to hear her. So I hope we have her on. I hope she's interested in coming on again with there, a better microphone. To, to be to be clear, Tor is not a catch all either. It Nothing increases it increases the amount of privacy that you have when conducting business and things on the internet. So prying eyes can't see things, but it is not immune to adversaries and it has its own issues in terms of how people can look at the way the network is moving and forensically see what you're doing and who you're talking to. It's just more difficult, way more difficult than just reg what you would normally do in a, on a browser. Mm. <clears throat> um, so I was going to jump in there. My kids started crying right outside my door. So is it uh, everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. There's kids. That's what they do. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, our conversation uh, in the Slack went a little bit further. Like Corey said, I think I said something about standards, you know, and then Corey, you're like, well, give me, you know, names of, 
I said in almost everything we've done and done well, it's because we one create a standard, create a way to measure the performance of and improve the standard, create a governing body to assure the succession of the standard over time, and set measures of progression to know when we need to update the standard or create a new one. And then you said, give me an example of that flow. I said, engineering, medicine, plumbing, electricians, teachers, architects, scientists, uh, basically any profession that has a governing body that says, this is how we do things until something better comes. And then we find a standard for that and add a section to how we currently do things. And then Andy, you chimed in and said, yeah, but now there's room for weirdos. <laughs> and so National Associated and Weirdos United. And you said, after the rush to standardization of mass production from the 1800s to 1980s, the internet let the weirdos find each other again. And you also went along to say that what's cool is that your father-in-law combined the crypto um, if he thinks it's a decent investment and he doesn't have to participate, but he can, right? <coughs> so this harkens back to a conversation that you guys had a couple weeks ago about micro communities. And uh, I had asked Corey what he thought, you know, you know, would define that. And, and we're totally on the same page. There are groups of people who have some common aim together. They may or may not be geographically bounded, um, but they're not necessarily the mass societies that we're used to thinking of in terms of nations or states or demographic groups or, or whatever it may be. Millennials, for example. So what's exciting to me about well, what was really exciting about the Internet was it let people in these small groups find each other. You could be in a small town and be into punk rock and nobody else in your town is into punk rock, but you can get online and you can find forums, you can find user groups, you can find e email lists and distri distribution lists, and you can join these communities and share information. That, that's really what was revolutionary about the Internet and, and enabled that just just cut that distance and that speed and that cost of being part of those communities. Um, I, I still think that's really something very cool about the internet and Reddit and the millions of sub subreddits are a uh, testament to that as well as you know Twitter and all the social networks. They kind of let you do this. Um, what I think is really neat about crypto, what D read that I said, is it lets there be a monetary element that connects those things together. That's outside of the establishment. You can make a token or you can rely on Bitcoin, or you can uh, uh, build essentially these small, in financial services, it's called a closed loop network. And, and it's what banks do. They can set up a closed loop network for you. Like if you go to school at a university uh, and you have money on an ID card that runs at your campus cafeteria and also pays your fees for the printer or whatever, it's a closed loop network. The money moves in that way. Crypto lets you do that, lets us do that. We can build a D, Corey, Andy, closed loop, crypto, closed loop network without bringing the banks into it. Um, that's what's exciting, really exciting about crypto to me is not that everybody will necessarily buy into Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever. It's that um, a small community, uh, uh, you know, a couple thousand, maybe even a couple hundred, maybe a couple dozen users can make their own coin and other people can invest in that. They can put their money in and say, yeah, go do whatever weird stuff, go make punk rock posters or whatever weird stuff you want to do. And they can choose to enter into that community or not with money or not with um, information or not. And so I think there's going to be a lot of, and we're starting to see this, a lot of small clusters, mini economies that are popping up around interest groups. Would you call them micro economies? 
you know, I, I might just do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of, that's what I've been saying, right? Like that's, that's when the internet allowed us to form communities, but, um, the way the internet was built and the lack of value systems within them, um, led to kind of a gamification or unna- unnatural, um, communication amongst those communities. So people would like the reputation systems aren't very good because there's no real weight behind them. Things like that. Like the, the introduction of an economy to these micro communities or small groups of people allows for a much more natural flow of communication and for people to conduct themselves and for particular, particular, particularly quality content within the context of that community to be incentivized and rise to the surface. Well, so so I think the answer is maybe. Y- yeah. yeah, that's the hopium. But yeah. but we don't know enough about these mini economies and these token economies. That's Why would what, it be? That's what, we're, that's what we're trying to find out. What what's going on with with price discovery and why we talk about the price of shit coins and, and such and, and I still think it's a worthy conversation to have is because we don't know what these tokens are doing we don't know what these mini economies look like um, the state of the DApps website is a testament to that like who's using these DApps what's actually <laughs> happening there <laughs> if you haven't gone to state of the DApps you got to go check it out it's a um, it's really brutal uh, if you're in the space and you got a lot of hopium go to state of the DApps to get a gut check yeah. Um, Three people are using it once a week. It's like, damn, it's not really decentralized at all. But anyways, uh, it's, it's still early stages, and so we're still figuring that that sort of stuff out. So, so of course, you know that that's the dream, man. And, that's and definitely think- the dream. But we're not there yet. It's the dream of where this can go. Like people didn't people didn't know that when they were making the internet in terms of the the way it would allow people to come together and talk about anything right and build a community around that and share information and help each other discover what it's like to to do whatever that thing is but unfortunately it's just information yeah i think you know what's cool though so um just thinking back to the history of the internet and, and kind of how that rose in the 80s um and how use groups started is the the um, oh what am I thinking the the actual phenomenon of um, these groups talking about weird things and segmenting off it happened really early so they didn't know it was happening and they didn't know it was going to happen but looking back we can see the the patterns of behavior in these information uh, um, groups happened really early in the history of the internet so. We can, I think we can start looking at crypto now and say like, well, what's happening? What are sort of these really compelling use cases? They're going to grow and, and change. We're not going to be able to see the difference between like a, a listserv email group and Twitter, right? Th- those differences are not obvious. Um, you can draw the line between them. So um, we're going to be able to do that from history. But we can start to get a sense of what those things look like. So what are the most compelling use cases for crypto right now? And it's money and it, it's the investment. It's um coin go up and that's a major component now that's not the only thing because it's associated with these communities but how those two things are tied together i think that's that's where i've got a lot of hopium Um, do you think that miners and like full node providers are gonna get an acronym like isp one day like an internet service provider does a lot of shit a lot right but we but we just like (laughs) 
That's what I'm yeah. talking about earlier, Corey. We centralized all that knowledge and shit into one three-letter thing, an internet service provider, and then everybody else gets to say, I pay them and I get my internet. And that's the, that's is you, do you think that maybe crypto is going to grow to the point where we have a something there's a blank there service provider. I mean that's kind of what's happening with validators in delegated proof of state network networks right now. So I just put my money with it and they do things. I don't know what they do. <laughs> but hey, you I know, hope it's constructed well. Yeah. <laughs> this and dude, it, it's funny because I had somebody come to my apartment. To, to work on my internet because it was wasn't working. He brought in this device that looked like something that would be on the dashboard of a fucking X-wing. <laughs> like it had like a little HUD on there, and I was like, "Dude, what is that?" And he oh, was it's like, for testing oh, the network. We, yeah, he was like, "This is how we test the noise to signal ratio on the blah 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 fucking blah blah blah." And he, these numbers need to be da 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 da. And I was like, <laughs> "Cool, man. You you, you do what you got." It's actually do. really fascinating. If it was a cable. Like a coaxial cable, those are waveguides, and how they how they actually move the information across them is pretty pretty fascinating, or fiber for that yeah. matter. But like, I know it is, but Corey, I, I sorry, physics, I'll, I'll physics geek out on this, but don't. <laughs> I'm embracing my ignorance on that topic because I don't yeah. want to know. I just, I just, you know, that's what it's, make no, internet I, go that's up. Want to know <laughs> is that? Yeah, now I know what it's for, and it's kind of cool. But it's not something I would have ever sought out, and I'm okay with paying the money to my internet service provider to to know that. If that's what it's you mean, if that's what you mean by everything tends to centralization, then that's true. That's that's what I was trying. Yes, that's people will. People cannot. It's impossible to understand everything that you use at a fundamental level. It's and live a life, right? You have to offload some of that information to other people who care about it in order to get through your life mm-hmm. in, in, in any real constructive way. Yeah, so how many, because of that, how many, uh, there's going to be... How many Egon do you need in the Ghostbusters? Yeah. How one. many Egon? You need <laughs> one and a half. Yeah. One Egon and you got a Ray who like can keep up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I think what it all boiled down to, Andy, is we ended up like coming to an agreement during our discussion that mass adoption may not be what we wanted it to be many moons ago, which was one coin to rule them, one network to do it all. It's more so a a massive collection of these micro economies. That's what seems like it's going to make more sense in the long term. In order for that to work, you need good interconnectivity. Yeah. You need lines that link this the different silos, different communities together and allow them to move value from one to the other appropriately. Otherwise, it's like there there is no future. And there's already people probably thinking about layer three stuff. Oh, for sure. But like well, that's then, that's what it, that's from- what you have to have. Layer three. How do you get something from layer three to layer one, and that be through layer two? You know I don't. Need, I mean, <laughs> oh shit! That's it. <laughs> We've cracked the code. You know, you know, two in between. 
what's cool about um, the you know the the interconnectivity right now, the exchanges are providing that. They're yeah. providing this social layer of interconnectivity that that what looks like a financial product. It's just mimicking a financial thing, but no, really, it's letting you bounce between and oh, among oh, for sure. it's Bitcoin, just... Ethereum, Cosmos, and 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 everybody. And that's probably at, to D's statement at the at the top of the uh, hour was that's probably where a ton of the actual interest is is on the price, it's on the movement of the tokens and trading there. So there's people really working at that intersection. It's probably right now the most developed in the space. It's certainly where all of the risk and um, money is based on the way they're constructed right? That's where you find price discovery. That's where you tend to find a lot of the pooling of value because um, most of these things uh, with, with any real volume, most of like the real volume associated is centralized. So people have, it's, it's not your keys, right? You're giving your money to someone else in hopes that they give you, give it back in a different form. Um, and it's not decentralized. So there's only a few decentralized exchanges that are in operation and they can't run at the at the scale that a centralized exchange can. And so because of the way those are built, that's where you have, that's where you, that's why hackers go there because that's the biggest bang for the buck. If you can hack those things, you can get everyone's money or um, you can make it look like a hack and just steal your own funds to avoid paying taxes or, or leave. And so like, that's, that's, that's the, that's the issue with a lot of these things. But until we find, better ways of building them at the scale that's required for people to have that interoperability, it's going to continue that way. I've used decentralized exchanges for the past couple months, just off and on. I don't do that much, but I was really surprised at how easy it was. Uniswap it's is great. <laughs> they're super simple. They're straightforward. It just works. Like, Kyber Network's great. There's a bunch of stuff built on top yeah. of Uniswap, but like, yeah, there's a lot of things within the oh. Ethereum ecosystem that's pretty yeah, fantastic. There's in the ETH Trader uh, uh, subreddit, there was a thread where people were just, they were trading in the thread on Reddit using, uh, what's it called? Um, Zero X. Yeah. Using Zero X protocol. And I was like, whoa, this shit's going to be intense. Like, this is going to be intense. They had their own little micro market in a thread on Reddit. And I was yeah, like, ETH Trader has probably the most sophisticated. <laughs> um, like adaptations on Reddit. Like it has, it has um, its own cryptocurrency. It has donuts, which is supported by Reddit officially wow. and, and an Aragon DAO attached to those things for governance. So it's the evolution of Dogecoin. Is that what it yeah, is? Pretty much. I mean, it's just, it's Doge just a, evolves yeah. donuts. <laughs> you can pull, you can tip, you can, you can buy the banner. My dogs are barking. You guys, you you got to read Stealing Worlds. You got to keep reading this book by Carl Schroeder. You're going to love it. Once I you get into it. it. So that keep so moving. episode is brought to you by the new Ghostbusters movie and Carl Schroeder's book, <laughs> Stealing <laughs> Worlds. No, no. Um, we, uh, we're going to wrap. We're going to wrap up here. But before wrapping, we're going to let you know what you can look forward to. We have an interview with Carl Schroeder. Um, amazing. He's an author, sci-fi author, who uh, just writes about a lot of the stuff that could potentially just become reality. Like it was a great, it was a great interview, um, and we're really looking forward to get you guys that episode next week. 
some other interviews we have coming. We've got an interview coming with uh, AVA Labs. That's right. Avalanche. I hope you guys are excited about that. But I'm sure you've heard all about it on Hashing It Out. You'll just hear a little bit more about it on Bitcoin Podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that episode, Morgan Rush. More <clears throat> Rocher, Rush, Ro, you know, uh, 286. We hope you know, uh, we hope you enjoyed episode 286. Um, please join the Slack. Go to the BitcoinPodcast.com and push the Slack button and follow the prompt on the screen. And if you can't do that, we don't want you in our community because we figure that you're a dumb person. That's not true. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not true at all. Oh. You couldn't speak English. You, what if you can't speak English? You That's fine. Learn. You gotta come here and learn. Yeah, I'm not gonna teach you English. Yeah, neither am I. <laughs> I will teach you all the words you don't need to know. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else do we do? Hashing it out. The Bitcoin podcast. I'll buy a book. Um, oh, we have a book. It's a coffee table book. And if you don't know what a coffee table book is, it's a book designed. On your coffee table for reading purposes. It starts it's, discussions. Yeah, there you go. Um, we interviewed porn stars at one point and they gave their opinion on Bitcoin, uh, which is exactly what you think a porn star would say, quite honestly. Um, and we interviewed rappers and athletes and all kinds of people gave their opinion on what, what Bitcoin is in 10 words or less. And we curated that and turned it into a book. So go buy that shit. <clears throat> it's on our website. You'll see a big book. Click it. Buy it. Um, other than that, um, shout out to Leanne uh, La Havas and Zazi Beats. Um, play 